If you've been here the last few weeks, you know we've been looking at these lessons in the life of King Hezekiah, and I am sure that all of you, in preparation for coming today, you were looking up what the next section would be, right? And you saw it, and you thought to yourself, wow, I mean, it says, you know, Hezekiah's pride and downfall, if you're, or something like that, if you have a Bible with, uh, with, with um, notes on it, or, or a Bible with uh, paragraph headers. But wow, there's just no details there. It just says, oh yeah, this happened, he was proud, then he repented. So there, there's not a lot to go on in that one. So we're actually going to back up. We're going to look at another story about a king who also had an issue with pride in his downfall. So turn, if you will, to 2 Chronicles chapter 16. We're going to back up 200 years. Uh, Hezekiah rules around 700 BC. We're going to back up to King Asa, who rules around 900 BC. 2 Chronicles 16. And Asa's life looks very much like Hezekiah's. If you were to flip back to chapter 14, you don't have to because I'm going to tell you, but you're welcome to if you want. Asa also becomes king at a young age. He's probably around 20 when he becomes king. Um, if, at chapter 14, verse 2, Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He removed the foreign altars and the high places, smashed the sacred stones, cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, to obey his laws and commands. Very similar to Hezekiah. He, he leads a revival to, to bring the nation back. And very similar to Hezekiah, we're told that he prospers. It's the end of verse 7. He built and he prospered in Jerusalem. And like Hezekiah then, you know, just as it says, Hezekiah served so faithfully, and then he was attacked. Same thing happens to Asa. Uh, Zerah the Cushite in verse 9 marched out, Cush's Egypt, marched out against him with an army of thousands upon thousands. And like Hezekiah, Asa cries out to God, and we're told the Lord struck down the Cushites before Asa and Judah. The Cushites fled, and Asa and his army pursued them as far as Gerar. Such a great number of Cushites fell that they could not recover. They were crushed before the Lord and his forces. That is not an exaggeration. Um, Egypt had an army of over a million guys, and they get destroyed. They get beat so badly, they will not venture into Judah again for 300 years. They go back into Egypt, and they pull up sticks, and they close the border. That Most of their army just got annihilated. Um, they are out of the biblical record for 300 years. They are beaten so badly. And right after that, in chapter 15 of 2 Chronicles, verse 1, Asa's on his way back from this great victory, and we're told the Spirit of the Lord came on Isaiah, son of Obed. He went out to meet Asa and spoke to him. And he encourages Asa. He says to Asa, great job. This is awesome. You trusted in God. Look at the good things that happened. Now keep it up. And chapter 15 details all of the ways that Asa works to bring the nation back to God. All the good things that he does. Now we're going to pick up his story in 2 Chronicles chapter 16. So read along with me if you will. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Basha, king of Israel, went up from Judah and fortified Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. Asa then took silver and gold out of the treasuries of the Lord's temple and of his own palace and sent it to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who was ruling in Damascus. Let there be a treaty between me and you, he said, as there was between my father and your father. See, I'm sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so he will withdraw from me. Ben-Hadad agreed with king Asa and sent the commanders of his forces against the town of Israel. 
They conquered Ijon, Dan, Abel, Maim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. When Basha heard this, he stopped working, stopped building Ramah, and abandoned his work. Then King Asa brought all the men of Judah, and they carried away from Ramah the stones and timber Basha had been using, and with them he built up Geba and Mizpah. At that time, Hanani the seer came to King Asa, to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Were not the Cushites and Libyans a mighty army with a great number of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing, and from now on you will be at war. Asa was angry with the seer because of this. He was so enraged, he put him in prison. At the same time, Asa brutally oppressed some of the people. The events of Asa's reign from beginning to end are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. Then in the 41st year of his reign, Asa died and rested with his ancestors. They buried him in the tomb that he had cut out for himself in the city of David. They laid him on a bier covered with spices and various blended perfumes, and they made a huge fire in his honor. All right, little history, little geography. Asa's in around nine, he starts to rule around 910, and he'll rule, as we see, for, for 41 years. The first three kings of Israel, Saul, David, and Solomon, the probably names you've heard, they rule what we call the unified kingdom because all Israel was one country. Solomon, you probably know the name, he was considered the wisest man in the known world at the time. When he dies, his son, whose name is Rehoboam, takes over. Rehoboam is not the wisest man in the known world at the time. He's not in the top 10. Frankly, he's probably in the bottom 10 because in three days of ruling, he so enrages his own country that there is a civil war and two-thirds of them split. Two-thirds of his country will not be ruled by Solomon's son because he is so egregious. And so now where you used to have this one country called Israel, now you have two because there's been a civil war. They've split about two-thirds of the northern part has left. They no longer go with King David. David to Solomon to Rehoboam was his name. They're not going to follow David's reign anymore. They're not going to follow his kids. They elect their, they have their own king. They set up their own temples, their own altars. They're done. And then you have this southern part. And of course, to make things confusing, both of them call themselves Israel. Right? The northern guy calls himself Israel because they're bigger, so they're like, we should get to keep the name. The southern guys call themselves Israel because they're like, no, we're the original ones. You left us. So to distinguish between them, the writers of the Bible will often call the southern Israel Judah, which is the name of the largest tribe that stayed faithful. David is from the tribe of Judah, and so the tribe of Judah stays faithful to him. So we read here, we've got the king of Israel, that's in the north. And we've got the king of Judah, that's in the south. Now, just you know, 50 years ago, they were one country. They're all the same group. They're all Jews. But they've split and become two separate countries, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And now you've got to think a little geography here, right? You've got Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Off to the east of them, you have got the Mediterranean Sea. So there's, there's nothing else there. Excuse me, that's the west of them. Off to the west of them, the Mediterranean Sea. And on the eastern side, you've got the Arabian Desert. 
So have you ever heard the term fertile crescent? It's called that because in this upper Middle East area, so think Israel, Jordan, Iran, Iraq, Lebanon, those places, everyone either lives along the Jordan River by the Mediterranean where there's water, or they live over here on the Tigris and Euphrates River. Nobody lives in between. It's a desert. You can't live there. There's no water. They live in this crescent of green because of these major rivers. So all the trade that's going to come in and out of this southern country of Judah either has to go by water on the Mediterranean, of which there's not a lot, or it's got to go north through Israel or south through Egypt. Well, nothing's going south because he beat the Egyptians so badly 20-some-odd years ago that they have closed up shop. So trade is all going north through or around Israel. And the king of Israel, I mean, again, again, we're, we're 50 years after the split. The Asa has seen kings come and go. This guy's like the fourth or fifth king of Israel. They just keep killing each other and a new guy comes in. This king of Israel decides his plan for dealing with Judah is he's going to fortify the border. That's where this town of Ramah is. He comes down to the border between Israel and Judah. And it's like, anybody ever seen Hadrian's Wall in England? You know, the Romans just like walled off the country. It's like, okay, we're in the south, you're in the north. That's what he's going to do. He's going to wall off the part by the river where you can live. He's going to put up towers and fortresses. He's going to control the border. So now no trade is going to go in and out of Judah. You want to get food or goods or anything through there, he is able to stop that. This is a problem. You can imagine if you have one trade route in your country and the guy has decided, who's north of you, has decided he's going to control it so he can shut it down if he wants to. He can hold you hostage. And so King Asa hits on what I think is a brilliant scheme. So you got Judah, you've got Israel. The country to the north of Israel is called Aram. Basha, the king of Israel, he's got to bring his army down to the south to protect his builders. You can't just have a bunch of guys building a wall on the border, right? The army of Judah will just come through and stop them. He's got to station his army on that border to stop any incursions while his builders build a wall which means he's left his northern border unguarded. So he's made a treaty with the guy to the north of him, the, the, the Aramean king, Ben-Hadad. It's like, hey, you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. Probably some money was exchanged, who knows what. But now he can bring his whole army south. Asa sends a bribe to the king of Aram and says, hey, don't be friends with him, be friends with me. Be my ally." attack him, which by the way, you know, he doesn't have anyone to stop you. His whole army is on my border. And the king of Aram's like, oh, this is awesome. He probably got money for the first treaty. Now he gets money for the second. Plus he gets to take over territory. So he attacks Nephtali, the northernmost region of Israel, and he takes it over. And we're told he takes over all the store cities. Those are the armories. That's where the weapons and the food is stored for the army. So he has moved in to the northern 10 or 15% of Israel. The king of Israel hears about this, and obviously now he's got a problem. He was trying to make a problem for the king of Judah, and now he's got a problem. So he hightails it north 
to go kick them out before they fortify themselves with his weapons and his food. And he leaves the border unguarded. And Asa calls everybody. They go, the, the king of Israel had brought wood and stone. How, you got to build a wall. He's brought wood and stone to build his wall and his fortifications. They scoop up everything that the king of Israel has left and they fortify their side of the border. That's what those, these cities he talks about, that, that he fortifies. It's, uh, he builds up Geba and Mizpah. So the king of Israel was going to build his border right there. And instead, I build my wall and my fortifications using his stuff right here. Now he will never, never be able to fortify his side of the border anywhere near me. Because now Asa has troops and fortifications and armory and a wall. He controls the border. He decides who comes in and who goes. He wants to send guys out, he does. He wants to stop, he does. And zero people were killed in this fighting. Zero, zero of his people died. It didn't cost his people a dime. It says he took gold out of the temple and out of his own personal palace. He didn't tax people or anything. Anybody ever read Sun Tzu, Art of War? I mean, this is exactly what Sun Tzu says to do. This is brilliant. Don't fight battles yourself. Let your enemies fight each other. And then you just go in and clean up the pieces. What Asa does is a brilliant, brilliant victory. No one dies in this battle. It costs his people nothing. They don't even have to pay for the materials to fortify their own border. They let the kingdom, the northern kingdom brings down all the materials and they take them and use that to fortify their own borders. This is never going to be a problem again. It never is. In, in the history of these two countries, over the next four, three, four hundred years, it will never be a problem again because Judah controls it. They have the fortifications. This is brilliant. And then we read in verse 7, as Asa is coming back from this coup, this brilliant strategy where he has stopped this problem, they're never going to be an issue again. And we're told in verse 7, at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, now what do you think Asa is thinking? I mean, put yourself in Asa's place. He faced the Egyptians probably 20 some odd years ago, and he crushed them. I mean, he beat them so badly, nobody's ever seen or heard of them. Nobody will ever see or hear from them for 300 years. They are gone. Right? And a prophet came to him and told him what a great job he did. Like, this is awesome. God is with you. You're doing great. Keep it up. And now he has just scored another incredible victory. And he's coming back, and a prophet is coming to meet him. I mean, he doesn't tell us what Asa thinks. But wow, if it's me... I am ready for round two. I am ready for this prophet to tell me what an awesome job I have done. I crushed the Egyptians, and now I made the Israelites look like idiots. And the prophet comes to him, and wow, he does not tell him, great job. The prophet rebukes him for not trusting God because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God. The prophet calls him a foolish man, calls him an idiot. And listen to what the prophet says is going to happen. Because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. 
wasn't fighting the army of the king of Aram. He was just fighting the, the country just to the north of him, Israel. And the prophet seems to be saying, God had a plan whereby you didn't, you didn't just take out the country, your enemy to the north of you. You took out the guy even to the north of him. You weren't just going to be secure on the border. You were going to be secure for hundreds of miles going north. But you missed that because you didn't bother to ask God. He says at the end, you have done a foolish thing, and from now on you will be at war. Asa has done this to avoid a war. He did all this to avoid having to go to war with Israel, to avoid having to fight. And the prophet says, wow, um, you have just set your country up for war. Asa succeeded beautifully, humanly. And it turns out it was only in the short term that God had some other plan in mind that we don't know about, we're not told. Asa never bothered to ask. It looks like Asa does fabulously, but because he relies on his own strategy, because he relies on a military strategy that looks perfectly sound, then the prophet says to him, wow, you're an idiot. God had so, God let this king come down here and do this because he had security. He had things he wanted to do for you. But you'll never know because you never asked. Because you never consulted him, because you didn't trust him, you didn't rely on him. You knew what to do, and so you did it. And Asa, and here it is not to his credit, um, Asa does not handle this rebuke well. He imprisons the prophet, he shoots the messenger, he brutally oppresses some of the people, we're told. Four years later, Asa gets a severe disease in his feet. And we are told that even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord. Asa is still so angry at God's rebuke that four years later, he's still refusing to talk to God. Even when he's hurting and he needs help, he refuses completely to talk to the God who rebuked him when he succeeded. He did what in his mind was exactly the right thing to do. And two years later, he dies. Still not talking to God. You know, we've been talking the last two weeks, these stories about Hezekiah, where I've been telling you, don't be surprised if you try and do what is good and right and you face opposition. Like, it's normal. Opposition is normal. It's suffering, persecution, these things are normal in our world. If you want to be more committed to Christ in 2023, and I hope you do, that's why we're doing these sermons. I want to encourage you to do that. If you want to be more committed to Jesus this year than you were last year, I've been telling you over and over again, expect problems. It, that's what, it always happens that way. The world is messed up. Expect issues. Expect things to not go the way you want. Expect people, expect some people to think that's cool and expect lots of people to think it's not. Expect to have, we have an enemy, just like Hezekiah had an enemy in the Assyrians. Expect that enemy to try and get you to quit. Tell you anything, lie, do whatever it takes to get you to quit. That is normal. I've been saying to you over and over again, it turns out there's another side to that coin, which is just as dangerous, and that's success. We are just as, we are just as likely to get ourselves in trouble when we succeed 
as when we failed. I mean, I've been encouraging you, right? If you fail, if things go wrong, if you have trouble, right? Just trust God, keep going, trust God, keep going. Trust God and keep going. What happens when you succeed? What happens when everything goes right? What happens when your brilliant plans are pulled off brilliantly? We are just as likely to get ourselves into trouble because our hearts become proud. Our hearts become self-reliant. I've got a friend who jokes that the number one area of sin in his life is that something will happen where he knows he needs God and he cries out to God to help him. And of course, God helps him. And as soon as he gets through whatever that issue is, he turns to God and says, wow, thanks, Lord. I'll take it from here. Isn't that exactly what Ace is doing? When the Egyptians came and he knew there is no way his army of a few hundred thousand guys is going to beat a trained army of over a million, he cries out to God, God, we rely on you, he says. That's early in his reign. He's young. He's untested. Now he's 35 years into his reign. He's been king for a long time. He was 20-something when he got attacked last time. Now he's 50-something. He's been doing this for a long time. He knows what to do. He knows exactly what to do. He doesn't need to rely on God. He doesn't need to ask. He doesn't need to look. He's got this. Thanks, Lord. Thanks for the help with the Egyptians. I'll take care of the Israelites. I'm good at this now. Sometimes we face opposition. We're tempted to quit. And I've been telling you, trust God. Trust God. Keep trying to do good. You know, it turns out, even when we succeed, that's the same message. We got to do the same thing. Even when everything's going right, we have to trust God. We have to rely on God. We have to keep trying to do what he wants us to do. I told you last week about an enemy. Hezekiah has this enemy who's lying to him. I said, you have an enemy who's lying to you. This week, it's not the enemy who's lying to us. It's us. We're lying to ourselves. We're telling ourselves, oh, we got this. I don't need God for this. I know how to handle this. Oh, this is not a problem. I'll take it from here. We don't need the enemy to lie to us. We lie to ourselves. If you set out to follow God, yep, we expect opposition. But here's the thing. Oh, you gotta be careful when you succeed. You gotta be careful when you get good at things. I think I gave you the example of the last couple of weeks. You know, you decide, yep, I'm gonna read my Bible regularly. So you, you set your alarm for 15 minutes early, but the first day you, you snooze and you sleep through it, you don't do it, and, and you think to yourself, oh, I can never do this, this never works right. Don't believe it. Keep trying. You fail one day, keep trying. Don't tell yourself I can't. Just, just keep trying to do what is good and right. Well, then what, when you, what happens when you do do what's good and right? When you do get up every morning, when you do read your Bible, wow, your heart still has to be soft to God. You still have to be listening. You still have to be asking. You still have to be involved with them because success teaches our hearts to be self-reliant. Success teaches our hearts that we don't need God. We got this. We're good at this. We can take care of this. Lord, you do so much. Why don't you take the day off? I'll handle this. I got you. We're so good to us with the Egyptians. You just take a break today. I'll take care of it for you. When we succeed, we are so tempted to pride. We're so tempted to self-reliance. 
We're so tempted to think because, oh, I got this, then I don't need the Lord. And it turns out the Lord had so much more planned, so much more good planned for Hezekiah that he and his country never got because he never asked. Because he thought, I, I, I can do this. I know what I'm doing. I can handle this. Okay, what do we do about this? Right? There's an easy answer, which is, don't be proud. Don't, don't, don't get stuck here. Don't, don't, don't do it. And I know that there are some of you in here, not a lot, but there's some of you in here that your hearts are always soft towards God. That, that's, just, that's who you are. That's the way he wired you. No matter how successful you are, you are going to cling tightly to God. Amen. Blessings on you. Just like I know from the last couple weeks that there's some of you that no amount of opposition is going to stop you. If you set your heart on doing what is right, then you will. And when you face opposition and you face hardship and you face trouble, that is just, you are going to redouble your efforts. Blessings on you. Right? But for the other 90 some odd percent of us, of which I am definitely in that category, opposition tempts us to quit and success tempts us to self-reliance. And we need to not be those people. When everything is going well, remember Asa. I've told you to remember Hezekiah when things are going badly and to be like Hezekiah. When things are going well and you're succeeding, remember Asa. Don't be like Asa. Because Asa will not accept the Lord's rebuke. I mean, think about it. God rebukes him. God doesn't just leave him. Asa has, has decided, I can do this, I don't need God. I, you know, again, the, 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 we don't know, obviously, everything that happened, but, but there's nothing in here like there was in the Egyptians where we're told that he prays and he goes before God and he, he seeks him and he's looked for God's help and now it's just, hey, he sends a bribe up to the king of Aram and these things work and then he goes and he takes it and it, it's just all him in this story. And God doesn't leave him there. God doesn't say, oh, he's doing his own thing, forget it, I'll go find somebody else. God comes to him. God sends someone. God sends one of his prophets. And that prophet's going to be taken off the board after this. Because Asa's going to imprison him. He's not going to be available to God to go send anybody after this. But God sends someone to Asa to say, you have messed up. This is wrong. God doesn't just leave him. I want to read you a passage from the book of Hebrews this is from Hebrews chapter 12, where the author is, is talking about something very similar, the discipline of the Lord, that, that, that God does not just leave us where we are. The author of Hebrews says, you have completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his sons. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he love, loves. And he chastised everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline because God is treating you as his children. And what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate children. You're not true sons and daughters. We all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we should submit to the father of spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. It's painful. 
Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. God is disciplining Hezekiah. He messed up. He got self-reliant. He thought, again, I can't read the guy's mind. I'm putting myself in his position. If it were me, having been king for 35 years, right, having done this since I was 20 and being good at it, I would think, yep, I got this. I don't need you, God. He has become self-reliant. He has become proud. And the Lord disciplines him. The Lord does not leave him there. God comes to him and tells him, this is wrong. There will be consequences to what you have done. And and Asa does not accept it. He rejects it completely. It's like, no. Throws the prophet in prison, oppresses his own people, refuses to talk to God ever again, it seems, in his life. He's done with a God who won't tell him, great job. He is done with a God who rebukes him. Brothers and sisters, if you try and follow God, and again, that's why we're doing this. I hope you are. That's the whole purpose of this, to encourage you to follow hard after Christ, to be more like Jesus this year than we were last year. If you do that, as I've said the last couple weeks, you can absolutely expect opposition. You can expect problems. You can expect failure. You, can, you have an enemy who's going to lie to you. All that is true. But here's the thing. You're not going to do it all right. I, think, I don't think I'm giving away any spoilers here when I tell you that if you set out to follow God, if you set out to do what is good and right, you will fail sometimes. And God who loves you will tell you. He will not let you keep going down that wrong path. Asa thinks, I got this, I'm going to be good. He doesn't. He's wrong, and God does not let him keep going down that path, or at least God tries. God sends someone to him. This is wrong. You need this. Stop this. This is not the right way. You, you have failed in what God wanted to do. You have missed the good that God would have offered you if you had consulted him. God sends someone to Asa. If you are trying to follow God, there are times you will fail, you will do what is wrong, and God will tell you. God will rebuke you. Now, you know, sometimes God comes alongside and he encourages us, and off we go, and that's really cool. And sometimes it's like what the writer of Hebrews says. Wow, nobody likes being disciplined. No one likes being told they're wrong. No one likes being that they made a mistake. No one likes seeing that they have messed up. That is painful. But scripture says it's for our good. God does that for our good, for our, to make us more like him, which is what we say we want in the first place. Brothers and sisters, if you mess up, and you're going to, we all do. If you mess up, and God tells you, wow, don't be like Asa. Don't be hard. Don't be angry. Don't be mad. Be humble. Accept what he tells you. I mean, we don't know. Asa didn't. We don't know how this story could have played out if he didn't. But it is interesting. In the story about about Hezekiah that I told you, you know, if we had kept going on in that story in Hezekiah 32, where it says Hezekiah's pride and fall, and in those days Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death, He prayed to the Lord who answered him and gave a miraculous sign. But Hezekiah's heart was proud 
and he did not respond to the kindness shown him. Therefore, the Lord's wrath was on him and on Judah and Jerusalem. Then Hezekiah repented of the pride of his heart, as did the people of Jerusalem. Therefore, the Lord's wrath did not come on them during the days of Hezekiah. Asa could have changed this story. I mean, it happens all the time in the Bible. People repent. God rebukes them, and people say, you are God, you are right, I am sorry, I am wrong. And these things don't happen. Asa could have changed his story, but he didn't, because he was angry, and he was proud, and I imagine he was embarrassed, and whatever else. If you set out to follow God, I guarantee you, there are times you will fail. There are times you will do what you think is good and right, and you will be wrong. There are times you will do what you know is not good and right, but you're tired, and you don't want to bother with this anymore. And because the Lord loves you, he will not let you keep going down that path. He will rebuke you, sometimes really gently, sometimes not so gently. It's not pleasant to be rebuked. It's never pleasant to have someone say to you, yeah, that, uh, that, that didn't work. No one wants to hear that. <laughs> you have done a foolish thing, and from now on, you will be at war. But the Lord is gracious. And people who repent find that graciousness. If you are in a situation where God has rebuked you, maybe for your success, maybe like Asa, you did it right. Wow, don't be like Asa. Don't be angry. Don't turn away, don't be proud, don't be mad, don't take it out on other people like he did. Do what Hezekiah did, repent. Say to God, you are God, I am not. You are right, I am wrong, I'm sorry. Change, that's what to repent means. It means literally to change your mind, to, to think differently. I thought this was right, I thought this was what I should do. Now God has shown me, so I think the way God thinks. So I'm gonna close this as I always do, I'm gonna pray for us. I'm going to ask God, God's spirit, to speak to us. Are there ways that your success is fooling you? That you're actually doing really well in some of these things, and it's causing your heart to come towards self-reliance. Again, it doesn't have to. We can be successful and still rely on God, still pray, still ask him, still be involved with him. Are there ways that success is tempting you to self-reliance? And are there places where God has rebuked you? And you, you need to accept that. You, you need to not be like Hezekiah, who spends the rest of his life angry at God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for these stories. I mean, Scripture says that everything was written down to instruct us. It's written down for our benefit. Uh, I, thank you for this story about Hezekiah, who, who up until this point was a great king, who, who did amazing things and and. and brought about revival in his country. And yet, when he messes up and is rebuked, he cannot accept it. Thank you. I, I, I know I've done the same thing. I don't like being told I'm wrong. I know I have acted just like Hezekiah, uh, just like Asa in this case. Lord, I pray for us. I pray for me. I pray for my brothers and sisters. Holy Spirit, are there any ways that, that we are succeeding and it is harming us. That, 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 that we are getting all the results we want, and yet we're not talking to you about it. We're not consulting you. We're not relying on you. We're relying on ourselves. We're relying on our, our own brains, our own strength, our own cleverness, our own jobs, whatever it is. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Are there ways 
that our success is dangerous, that, that we are becoming proud. No, Jesus, let us know. Let us know so we can repent, so we can turn. And, and I pray for us, Lord, if there are places where you have rebuked us and we're not listening, places where you have disciplined us, just as the writer of Hebrews says, that's not pleasant. Nobody likes that. But wow, does it bring about good results later. Jesus, are, are there ways that you have rebuked us and we are not listening? We have become proud. We have become hard-hearted. I pray for us, Holy Spirit, that, that now, as we take communion together, as we remember, Jesus, what you have done for us, as we sing again in worship, speak to us, remind us. Lord, are there any ways that our success is harming us? Are there any ways we will not listen to your rebuke? Speak to us, Lord, so that we can turn we can think differently. We can agree with you. You say think this way, and that's the way we want to think. Speak to us, Jesus, so that we can obey you. We pray in your name always. Amen. Now, we're told Hezekiah died, presumably of this, this disease, after he'd had it for two years. What happened to him when he arrived? He died. He went to face God. What happened to him? Jesus welcomed him with open arms. Even though he turned away from God for the last six some odd years of his life. We know Jesus welcomed him with open arms. How do we know that? Because of these stations. Because of what scripture says. That Jesus died for us. He died for all of our sin. Every sin we've ever committed, every sin we ever will commit. All the sins we're committing right now that God knows everything he knows it all and it is all forgiven when hezekiah arrived in god's kingdom he was welcome as a beloved son just like you will be if you are a follower of christ a beloved son a beloved daughter whether you listen to everything i said go put it into practice and do great god will welcome you or you don't do any of it ever and you fail miserably god will welcome you because scripture says God loves his children. If you are a follower of Christ, if you've done what Paul tells the Romans, said to God, I believe you died for my sins and I believe you rose from the dead and I will too, then you're his and he loves you and nothing is ever going to change that. Whether you are succeed brilliantly or fail miserably, Jesus has taken care of all of that. So we end every service reminding ourselves of that fact. Whether we go out back into the world and do everything right, or we go out back into the world and fail completely, Jesus loves us. Jesus has died for us. He has paid for every sin we will ever commit. And when we stand before him, we will be welcomed by him. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorned its shame, because it was a shameful way to die. The joy set before him, that's you. We are the only things that Jesus didn't have as God because we ran away from him. And scripture says he thought it was a joy to die if that meant it brought us back. He thought it was a joy to be crucified, to have us back with him in his kingdom 
whether we do it all right or we do it all wrong, he is still overjoyed that we will be with him. So I'm going to pray for us. When I finish praying, get up, go to any one of the corners. There's also gluten-free down here to my right if you want that. Get the bread, get the cup. Don't, don't take it. Bring it back to your seat. We will take it together and we will remind ourselves of what Jesus has done. I preach these things to you and I, I encourage you, not because if you do them, God's going to love you anymore, and not because if you fail, he's going to love you any less. Because we want to be like him because of what he's done for us. Let's pray again. Thank you, Lord. I mean, that's what we always say here. Thank you. Jesus, you did not have to do this. We ran away from you. And you could have waited for us to come back, but you know we never would. We sold ourselves as slaves to sin. We could not come back. And so you came, you chased us down, you caught us, and you bought us back with your own life. And scripture says you were overjoyed to do that. Thank you. Thank you. We are so grateful. We remember. We do exactly what you told us to do when we gather, Lord. We remind ourselves. We remind each other of your great love for us. Whether we do it all right or we do it all wrong. So, Lord, meet us here as we take the bread and we take the cup. Meet us as your children. We pray this in your name, Jesus. We pray everything in your name. You are our God. Amen.